Um, so a few years back when I was in college, when I was at Mercer and I was on the football team, there came a point where some of my teammates transitioned from being players to coaches. That for various reasons, whether for some of them it was health issues, they couldn't play anymore, but they still wanted to be a part of the game, so they turned to be coaches or other reasons, they, they transitioned. And I always found it just a little bit weird. Like, you're out there at practice, and you're running drills, and all of a sudden, I've got some guy just yelling at me, with it, blowing a whistle at me, and it's like, man, you were one of us just a few weeks ago. Like, I listened to you cut up and act a fool in the locker room and talk about all the classes you're failing, and now you're blowing a whistle at me. It just seems weird now. But here's what happened. They transitioned from being a player to a coach. That they, in a sense, got a new identity, and with that new identity came new activity that they changed positions, and with the new position came new purpose. They were once one of us, but now they've transitioned, and because of their new title, because of their new position, their new purpose, they relate differently to us. Now, here's why I bring that up, is as followers of Jesus, we have had our identities changed, and with new identity comes new activity, that we have new positions as followers of Jesus, as his uh, set-apart chosen children, and it changes our purpose. It gives us new purpose. It changes how we relate to the world around us. And the verses that Pastor Stephen just read is Jesus, is his last words to his disciples in what's known as the Great Commission. And in these verses, he's telling them that in light of their new identity, in light of their new position as his followers, they now have great purpose. And he's encouraging them and sending them out with that purpose. And so what I want for us this morning is as we unpack and talk about the Great Commission and talk about these words from Jesus, my hope is that we would be reminded of our identity, reminded of our position as followers of Jesus, and that we would be encouraged and sent out with a new purpose and that we would go into the world as Jesus has called us to go. So as I mentioned, these are Jesus's last words to his disciples. He's been with them for some time now, for years. They followed him. And then just recently, he had been crucified and executed on a Roman cross. His dead body was placed in an empty tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it, but we know the story that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. The stone was rolled away, and Jesus began to appear to, different, uh, to his disciples, to different people, through the course of 40 days. And here at the tail end of these 40 days, he goes to this mountain, he gives these words to his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven to the Father. And as the disciples, as they see Jesus on this mountain, it says that some, they, they worshiped him. That there's this excitement that as Jesus comes, their hearts are filled with gratitude, filled with praise. They're excited about Jesus. They've, they've recognized that everything has now changed because the man who was once dead is no longer dead, and it changes everything for them. And so there's this worship because they now know and they've seen the risen Jesus. But there's some doubt as well that there's some uncertainty in the hearts of some of them, that they're excited because known things have changed, but they now recognize that Jesus is leaving them, and they're like, what's coming next? What are we going to do? And so amidst this uncertainty, with these last words to his disciples, Jesus very quickly points them out to an important truth. He says, hey, I want you to understand that all authority 
in heaven and on earth is mine. That I am sovereign over all things. So I know you're uncertain. I know there's some uncertainty in your hearts, but you need to remember, you need to understand that you are a follower of me and I am sovereign over all things. All authority and power is mine. And so he encourages them with this truth and then he gives them some commands. He says, hey, go, therefore, in light of this, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the, the Holy Trinity right there mentioned. Teaching them to observe my commands. So he gives them these commands in light of the truth of his authority. And what we need to understand is the primary command here is make disciples. This is the emphasis of Jesus' words, make disciples. These other commands of going and baptizing and teaching, they're important, but they're all supporting commands. They're all supporting the ultimate primary emphasis of make disciples. He says, I have authority, and you as my disciples, I'm commanding you, go and make disciples. So that brings us to the first question, okay, what is a disciple? Because we don't really use that word. What does he mean when he says make disciples? We have to understand what is a disciple. And simply put, just boil down a very simple definition, is a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is committed to following Jesus. And to understand the weight of that, we have to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. See, here's the story of mankind. God created us, and we had a right relationship with God, but we decided to, to go our own way. All of mankind has said, no, I don't want your rule. I don't want to submit to your authority. I want to be the ruler of my own life. And so all of mankind has sinned and rejected the holy creator God. And what the Bible teaches us is this sin has separated us from God. The Bible describes it as we are in darkness. The world is in darkness because of sin. It even says that we are dead in our sins. When we rejected the author of life, death entered into the world. And it was a physical death, a physical brokenness that we look at the world around us. And yes, we see evidence of beauty, but we also see so much pain and suffering and brokenness. And we know that all of us, we each will experience physical death. Death has entered the world, but it's not just physical death that's the issue. It's spiritual death that we are spiritually dead before a holy God, that we have incurred the wrath of God, his just judgment on our sins. And that's a problem for all of mankind. But what the Bible teaches us is that God is so rich in love and rich in mercy that he didn't just abandon his creation. He stepped and moved towards his creation. That the, the author and creator of the universe the holy God of all things took on flesh and became a man and dwelt among his broken creation. That the light of the world stepped down into the darkness. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life, keeping all the commands that we could not live. And then as we mentioned earlier, at the end of his life, he was taken, he was arrested, he was hung on a criminal's cross. And there on that cross, he was executed. And what scripture says is that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, he takes on sin and he takes on the wrath and judgment of God. And he died as a sacrificial death for the sins of mankind. 
and they took his lifeless body and they put him in a tomb. But like we said, he arose from the grave in victory. And the promise is that if anyone would turn from going their own way, if we would reject the rule of self and submit ourselves to King Jesus, if we would believe in him and trust in him, then we will receive new life that we receive forgiveness of sins because for those who trust in Jesus, their sins are placed on him on the cross and God's wrath is poured out on those sins. But there's this exchange that takes place that those who trust in Jesus have their sins forgiven and they receive the righteousness of God so that when God looks on the followers of Jesus, he doesn't see sinners deserving of wrath, He sees his sons, his daughters. He sees the unblemished lamb of God, Jesus. And that is the hope of the gospel. That's what it means ultimately to follow Jesus. It's to turn from your own way, turn from your own path, your own rule, and submit yourself to King Jesus fully, saying, I'm laying down everything at your feet. It's to believe and trust in the person and work of Jesus. But what we need to understand is conversion is never the end. Like Jesus's invitation to his first disciples wasn't, hey, come follow me, but you just keep doing your own thing. Like he's not calling them who were in a boat fishing because they're fishermen by vocation saying, hey, come follow me, but you just keep, keep fishing, keep staying out there. No, he says, hey, follow me and I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to give you a new purpose with a new identity. Yeah, you're still going to be fishing, but it's not the same kind of fishing you've been doing. You're going to be fishers of man now. He invites them in. He says, I'm changing who you are. It's an invitation to follow Jesus with his whole life. To, and they walked with Jesus. They listened and sat under his teaching. He shaped how they saw themselves and saw the world around them and saw God. And ultimately, through trusting in him, through fully submitting their life to him, he gives them new life that's only found through him. See, For Christians, we're not called just to stay in the boat and say, okay, I checked the box, I follow Jesus. No, we're called to devote our whole lives to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus, laying all that we are at his feet in full submission. So the next question then is, okay, what is discipleship? We know a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Then what does it mean? Like, what is discipleship? And discipleship is helping others follow Jesus. That's what Mark Dever says. He says, if you boil it down, it's just helping others follow Jesus. I love the the old quote from D.T. Niles. He says, uh, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That is discipleship. It's we who are in darkness, we who are without hope, we who have been now reconciled to God through Jesus, who found all that we have, all that we need met in Jesus, now are pointing others to the hope of Jesus. It's helping others walk in obedience, walk in step with following Jesus. That is what discipleship is. And again, it's not a new mission here. This is not some new thing that Jesus comes up with right before he leaves. He's like, oh, by the way, hey, do this. That was his invitation from the beginning. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of man. But it's not even new with Jesus. This is in the very first pages of scripture, this heartbeat of discipleship and making disciples. In Genesis chapter 1, 28, after God created mankind, it says this, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
See, it's a call in essence, yes, to, to fill the earth with humans, but it's not just fill the earth with humans. God is calling them to fill the earth with those who are worshiping him. To fill the earth, yes, with humans, but with humans who are submitted to him as their king, as their authority. Fill the earth with humans who sing praises and worship him with all that they are. God's heart is for us making disciples. That is what's echoed from the very first pages of scripture. And this is the same call for us who are followers of Jesus. When you've submitted to Jesus, when you are a follower of him, we become disciples who make disciples. And that's what we want as a, the culture of our church. This local body, this local gathering, we want this to be a place that is full of disciples who are making disciples. That's what, what God has called us to. So the question then becomes, okay, how do we do this? What, what does this even look like? And it's an exhaustive topic that we can't fully go in depth to this morning, but I do want to give us an overview with three commands that we've seen, that we've mentioned in this passage, three elements of discipleship that give us a direction for what discipleship looks like. So the first element is this, is going. Going. Here's the truth. We are surrounded by people who are far from God. Each and every day, we come in contact with people who are dead in sin, destined for the wrath of God, while we hold the hope that they can be reconciled to God. Because that was our story. We were once like them. We are surrounded by brokenness and lostness, people who are in desperate need of salvation through Jesus. And so we must go. When we take our cues from God, that God is a missionary God. See, Jesus, he tells his disciples in John 20, he says, as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He said, hey, the world was broken and without hope and it was in darkness. And so God sent Jesus to be the light of the world so that the world may be reconciled to him. He is a missionary God that sends to the lost so that they can have hope. And Jesus says, just as the father sent me, I'm sending you. You, follower of Jesus, you who have been reconciled to God through Jesus. Now what the, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, have the ministry of reconciliation. You who have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, through submitting to him, now have the ministry of going and proclaiming to others the hope that they can have in Jesus. This is what you've been called to. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Jesus says, hey, I've set you apart, and you're not of the world, but you're to go into the world. Paul calls us ambassadors. That just as an ambassador lives in a land that's not their home, they serve a king that's not, not there. They serve the king of another place, but they live in that land. He said, you are my ambassadors. We live in a world that is not our home. We serve a different kingdom that's not of this earth, and we serve a different king. Our allegiance lie to the king of all kings, but we're in this world to proclaim and do work on behalf of that king. We are. All of us are ambassadors 
for King Jesus. We've been sent into the world. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. It's really convicting. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We've all been sent on mission for God into the broken world. Every single follower of Jesus. Some people will say, well, I don't know. I'm just, I don't have that great of people skills or I'm not uh, formally trained or educated or, or maybe I, I haven't walked with Jesus long enough. It's like, no, 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 we are all, every single one of us who have been reconciled to God through Jesus are called to go out into the lost and broken world and proclaim the hope we have in Jesus. And I get it. I understand that for many of us, when we hear that, it's like, there's an uneasiness that kind of raises in your heart. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if I feel equipped to do that. But let me encourage you. You're better at this than you even realize. No one has to teach you how to talk about what you love. Think about it. How do you know someone's a grandparent? You spend five minutes with them and then they show you every picture that they've ever taken and they tell you every detail of each grandkid's life for the past week and no one taught them how to do that. No one sat them down and said, hey, as a grandparent now, you're gonna wanna take a million pictures. Um, You're gonna wanna tell everyone about it. No, they just do it. Why? Because they love them. When you see a movie you like or a TV show you like, you listen to a song you like, what do you do? You go and share it and you tell other people, say, hey, check this out. This was really fun. This was really cool. You need to hear this. No one sat you down and said, hey, so what you want to do is you want to go to your friend and you need to have maybe three points when you do it, but you want to be clear, but don't be overbearing. Like they don't teach you how to do it. You just go and do it. I've been giving uh, one of my friends, uh, Chris, he's the director of operations here. I've been giving him a hard time because Chris has found this workout group called F3 and he is obsessed Like he loves this thing and he's always talking about it. Like it always comes back to F3. We'll be talking about the weather and somehow it's like steered back to F3. And he's even trying to recruit other people to do it. Some people have fallen prey on our staff and and bought the lie and gone with him. I tell him he's wasting his breath with me. There's no way I'm getting up that early and going to a parking lot to work out. It's just not happening. Yet he still tries. Now, he didn't go to that group and they say, hey, Chris, to be a part of this group, you've got to recruit a bunch of people. You've got to talk about it all the time. No, he experienced it. It was fruitful for his life and he wants to talk about it and wants others to experience it as well. See, we who experience beauty proclaim of that beauty. See, we who are aware of our sin and our brokenness and the depth of it yet see the magnitude and the weight of Jesus' sacrificial love will then go and be proclaimers of that great love. We who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good will then go and proclaim of his goodness. See, it all starts with the love of God. To, To know that we are sent, we have to go and look at the love with which we were loved and be compelled by that love from God to go and share his goodness and his love with the world around us. So yes, be trained, be equipped. We, we, I'm not saying those are bad things. We definitely need to do that. We need to try to continue to work at sharing the gospel message of hope that we have with clarity. But make no mistake, you know how to talk about what you love. 
And so it starts with you seeing and experiencing and reminding yourself of the love of God. And from that place, we go. How do we go? What does it look like? It's with intentionality. It says moving towards the lost world with great intentionality, great urgency, knowing that every day people are dying without the hope of Jesus. And so we move with great intentionality. We move prayerfully, that we are on our knees pleading before God for the lost around us, saying, Lord, break my heart for the lost people around me. Lord, stir my heart to compassion for them. We pray specifically for people we know who are far from the Lord and say, Lord, work in their hearts. Let your Holy Spirit begin to soften their hearts and make them receive the gospel message. We intercede on their behalf. We pray for opportunities to intercede with them. We go with intentionality. We go with deep prayer and we go with our words and our deeds. We both proclaim the hope of the gospel with our lips and we live lives shaped by that gospel. You have to have both. We cannot claim Christianity, claim the, the truths of God with our lips, but live lives that are inconsistent with its message. When we do that, the world is unimpressed. When we proclaim to know and have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, yet are riddled with anxiety, it undercuts our message. When we claim that we've submitted our lives fully to King Jesus, yet live in active, unrepentant rebellion against his commands, it undercuts our message. We move towards the lost with both our words and our deeds. And, and what that does is our deeds get evidence to and weight to our message. I've got a buddy named Eli. He's uh, on the worship team here and Eli does CrossFit. How do I know Eli does CrossFit? One, he talks about it because that's what you do when you do CrossFit apparently is you talk about it. I've heard him talk about it. I've seen him post about it. But here's the real way I know Eli does CrossFit. About a year ago, I was playing church softball and Eli was on my team and we were uh, in the dugout just joking around, horsing around. And I kind of went and just kind of went to hit him on the chest and was like, hit a brick wall. I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't know that the human body could be that rock solid. <laughs> See, here's the thing. How do I know Eli does CrossFit? He talks about it and his life is shaped by it. Same way with us followers of Jesus. How will we, the world, know that we are Jesus's? We proclaim it with our lips and our lives are shaped by it. And so we go we go with this great invitation that this lost, dying, hurting world around us, those who are with anxiety and pain, those who are seeking to fill a void in their hearts, we go to them and we invite them and say, you who are hurting, you who are striving and striving and striving to find yourself complete, to satisfy the desires of your heart, come and experience Jesus. Turn from your sin, trust in him and be made whole. Turn from your sin, trust in him, and go from death to life. Turn from your sin and trust with him and live life eternal in right relationship, reconciled to the holy God that you offended purely because of his love and grace and mercy. And I want to say, if there's anyone here this morning that that's you, you have not trusted in Jesus with salvation, you're spinning your wheels trying to satisfy the deep desires of your heart and nothing seeming to stick. You feel empty. You feel lost. You feel shame and guilt. Hear me say this. Come and see Jesus. Trust him. Turn from your sin. 
trust in him and be made whole. Our hope and our prayer, that's what we're about, is seeing people come and follow Jesus because when you do this, it changes not just this life, but the next. And if you have questions about what that looks like, I wanna encourage you to talk to someone today. Talk to a friend you're with, stop by the prayer room on your way out, write it in the connect card in front of me. I don't care what it looks like, talk to someone because that is the biggest thing you will ever do is turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. For the rest of us, we have to ask ourselves, how am I going? Do I have this deep burden and this deep drive within me to take the gospel to the lost world around me? Am I finding myself given over to prayer, interceding on behalf of those around me? Do I look to have intentional conversations? Is my life consistent with the message that I claim to believe? How are you going? Because Jesus has commanded us to go. That is in the DNA for us as followers of Jesus is we are his ambassadors. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And so we go just as the father sent Jesus, he sent us. We move towards the lost. Second element, second command uh, that we see about discipleship is baptizing. We baptize. Jesus calls his followers to be baptized. Now, I want to be clear and careful here in saying that baptism is not what saves you. The, the gospel is not turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and then once you are baptized, then you are reconciled to God. No, the gospel is turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and you are instantly reconciled to God, right relationship, sins forgiven. But the, there is a command of Jesus. He does call us to be baptized. And so it's not an issue of salvation, but it is an issue of obedience that he's called us to do so. And baptism, it's symbolic, but it's not even just a symbol because it's an act of obedience. There's a spiritual element to it that when we follow in obedience and are baptized, it's a worshipful act. It's spiritual. And the symbol is a tangible expression of the gospel. It's a way that we can feel and see played out the hope of Jesus. When someone is baptized and they're immersed in the water and they come out, it gives the picture of how their sins have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that they're made clean through trusting in Jesus. It also gives the imagery of them participating in the death and life of Jesus. That as they go down, it's saying, my old life was crucified with Christ. The old me was crucified with Christ. But when I come up out of the water, it's saying, but just as Jesus is raised to new life, I am raised to new life. And so when the follower of Jesus is baptized, it's a very, very experiential, uh, symbolic moment of, of feeling and seeing the gospel take place that gets embedded in our minds that we can call back and remember what it was like, how we experienced the gospel. It's also a picture for the world around us that when we are, are baptized, we are identifying with Jesus. And so when the world looks around us, we're saying, hey, I'm one of Jesus' followers and I'm identifying with him and his body. And so it's a picture for us who are already believers. When we see someone else be baptized, it encourages us because we see the, played out the gospel that's happened in their heart. It also reminds us of our own baptism. It reminds us uh, of the moment we believed. And it's a picture of the gospel played out for the lost world around us. That when unbelievers see that, they're seeing a demonstration of what takes place when you trust in Jesus. 
And so the question for us is, okay, have you been baptized? If you are a follower of Jesus, what is keeping you from walking in obedience and being baptized as he's called you to be baptized? Uh, it, it's something that he's called each of us to do. And so if that's something that you've got questions about, or maybe you, you wouldn't want to know more about what that means, if you're a professing follower of Jesus, I would encourage you talk to someone again today. Go to the prayer room, write in the connect card. We would love to talk to you about being baptized because that's us following in obedience with what Jesus has called us to do. Third and finally, the third element is teaching. Is teaching. Discipleship is teaching others to follow and obey the commands of Jesus. Remember, conversion is never the end. Conversion is the beginning of a new life, a life lived in obedience to Jesus. Now, I want to be very, very clear here. This is not a call for moralism or legalism. This is not a call for us to work hard and be obedient, follow the commands, do this, don't do that, so that God will love me more, so that I'll have favor with God, so that God won't be mad at me, so that I'll have status before God. Absolutely not. You've got to hear me say this. Christian, you who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are fully and completely loved by God, period. There's not a thing you can do that can add to the love he has for you. You have the full weight of the fullness of God's love resting on you, and you cannot do anything to lose that love. You are fully loved for all. All of your sins, past, present, future, were crucified on the cross of Jesus. You are his child that he loves deeply, and there's nothing you can do to lose that love. And so we don't obey to get love. We obey because we are loved. That our obedience flows from our faith in Jesus. That's why James says, hey, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is not genuine faith because faith always works. Our works, our fruit, it's a byproduct of us trusting in Jesus because when we trust in Jesus, he changes and renews our heart and it plays out in how we live. It's faith-fueled obedience. So we, we strive for obedience not to earn anything, but because we are his children. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we're called to teach one another and help each other walk in obedience. Now, again, I want to to be clear. This isn't the call that every single person, every single follower of Jesus is, is to preach from a pulpit or lead in these big groups. That's not necessarily the call, but the call is that we each walk alongside one another and help one another, teach one another how to follow Jesus more. So how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, it's both intentional and it's organic. It's planned, but it's also unplanned. There's an intentional aspect of us teaching and helping one another follow Jesus. There's different avenues through which it comes. This is one of them. We come every Sunday morning, we gather, and we sit under the teaching of God's word. It's us saying, hey, I want to be molded and shaped through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's word, into the image of Jesus. So I come on a weekly basis to hear the word of God preached to help me walk in obedience. That's why we sing these songs. We sing as an act of praise and a response of worship, but we also sing these truths of God because singing has a unique way of teaching us the truths about God. So we learn from those. 
That's why we have students and kids programming. We teach them from a young age to follow Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It happens in our home teams, which are our small groups that meet in the week where each week we gather with the intention and a plan to sit and study God's word together. It happens in discipleship groups. I've, I've had the honor of being a part of one for the past couple of years. And in these groups, what we do is it's a group of guys that we gather each week. We hold one another accountable for pursuing Jesus and spiritual disciplines from a place of grace. We study and talk about God's word. And ultimately, we help one another become better followers of Jesus. It's intentional. It happens in intentional meetings where you maybe seek out someone to pour into you and say, hey, I would love for you to mentor me or teach me, or you seek the wisdom of others. It happens when we seek those who are teachable and willing to be discipled. There's an intentionality to discipleship, but there's also an organic element as well. The way that Mark Dever describes it, he says, discipling involves transmitting the knowledge of God and his word through every moment of life. Discipleship is absolutely intentional and purposeful and planned, but it's also just organic throughout life. Ultimately, it's us inviting others into our lives, inviting one another into our lives. And, and through the way we live our lives, we teach others how to follow Jesus. That's why Paul, he says it this way. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says that in multiple places in Philippians 3 and 1 Corinthians 11. He says, hey, I want you to watch how I follow Jesus and learn from that. Now, this isn't Paul saying, hey, watch me because I'm perfect and I've got it all figured out. No, Paul in 1 Timothy is going to say, hey, I'm the chief among sinners. Like, I'm, I'm the worst. And, and so he's, he's not saying, hey, follow me because I've got it all figured out. He's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's not a call to be perfect. See, some discipleship, some of the best discipleship happens, not necessarily when you get it all right, but even when you, you miss the mark and they see you repent, they see you confess sin and see you walk with humility. That is how discipleship takes place. It's you being invited and you inviting others into your life. I think of the many different relationships that God has blessed me to, to see and observe how people are following Jesus and the ways that I've learned so much from them over the years. And, and some of the ones that come to my mind, I think of my parents. I think of watching the way they serve and love others with their resources, their time, their energy. And absolutely, they sat me down, they taught me some of these things, but the way that really gets ingrained in you is by me watching it take place. I think of my in-laws, I think of uh, Sarah's mom, who is just this sweet and kind lady to everyone and watching that and seeing her kindness. Or think of my father-in-law, who's just unbelievably patient. I think of my student pastor and his wife growing up and how they really displayed what a godly marriage looks like. And that, that marriage is something to be enjoyed and fun. I think of a mentor of mine and his wife who invited us just to come and be a part of their home and just to hang out with them. And I think of late nights just sitting on the couch, hanging out and how they sacrificed that time, sacrificed sleep so that they could invite us into their lives. And it meant so much to us. See, discipleship is intentional, but it's also how we live our lives and we invite others into seeing how we live our lives. It's not always getting it right. Um, it's, it's letting others see us for better and for worse. There's this lady named Erin Wheeler. She's a pastor's wife. 
and she, uh, she talks about discipling these other women that would come to her. And she talked about just at first feeling so inadequate and so unable to do it. But then she says, I tried to be intentional. I tried to pour into them. I tried to give them books to read and study the Bible with them. And it was good. But inevitably what people would come up to her afterwards, years later, these women would come and say, that stuff was good and fruitful. But some of the most fruitful times we had with you was just watching the way you lived your life, seeing how you loved your husband, seeing the days where your patience was worn thin and how you interacted with your kids and how you apologized when you missed it. Watching the way you lived your life is what really brought a lot of fruit. And she even talks about how she had this woman come over one time to her house for this discipleship relationship. And the, her husband was working. The kids were just off the chain. The house was a wreck. And feeling like this weight of like, oh, no, I'm not doing a good enough job. But then remembering that discipleship is messy. And that in these moments is when God displays so much grace. And this is what she says about it. So that is our confidence. Not that we have the perfect home and well-behaved children, but that in the muck and the mire, God's spirit is at work. Even in our weakness, God uses our words to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, comfort the weak, and show patience to everyone, all for his glory. She's says that even when you invite them into your lives, there's gonna be times when you get it right and they're gonna see that and they're gonna see you follow Jesus and it's gonna encourage them to do that. But when you get it wrong and life is messy, you're gonna be a living example of God's grace poured out and it's gonna encourage them, it's gonna comfort them, it's gonna show them how to better follow Jesus. So the question is, how are you inviting others into your life? I know you might say like, oh, I'm so busy. I've got so much going on that we're going a million different ways. I don't know if I have time for this. And believe me, I hear you. I get that. But discipleship is just inviting people into the messiness, into the busyness. I've seen people and talked to people. They're like, yeah, you know, life is busy. It's hectic, um, but I've got to go to the grocery store. And so I'm going to call up a younger believer. We're going to go and we're going to go shop together. Or uh, my kids are doing a million different things. And so I'm going to call someone up and say, hey, we've got a ball game tonight. I'd love for you to come sit with me, hang out. And what they're going to do is when you see them in these moments, they're going to see how you interact with others, interact with the kids, interact with other parents. And that is a visible, lived out example of how to follow Jesus. And that is going to speak volumes because you've let your guards down and you've welcomed people into your life. Bring them in, let them have dinner with you and your family. But the key is that we've got to be intentional because we have a responsibility of helping others follow Jesus. And so how are you doing that? How are you inviting others in? Are you being intentional to help others follow Jesus? Are you yourself someone who's teachable? How are you being discipled? So here's the thing. We never in this life make it. It's not like we can say after a certain number of years, like, yep, check, perfectly follow Jesus. Now I don't need any help. No, like we all need help. We all should constantly be discipled and making disciples. So who are you seeking out to speak into your life, to pour into your life, to help you better follow Jesus? What does that look like for you in this season? Here's the, the ultimate call. We're to be disciples who make disciples. That is what God has called us to do. And I know that can feel a little heavy of a responsibility at times, but I want you to see what that command is sandwiched between. On one hand, he says, I have authority of all things and I'm the one sending you. And if that's not enough, he then ends it by saying, and behold, I will be with you always. 
He doesn't send us void of his power and say, hey, all right, kids, figure it out. (laughs) He says, no, I'm sending you and I'm going with you. He tells his disciples in the gospel of John, he says, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave and go to the father because when I leave, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you my witness. I'm sending you my helper and he's going to fill you. And when you proclaim of me and bear witness of me, he's also going to proclaim of me. It's not just your words working. It's my power working in and through you. And that's what Paul says in Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and he powerfully works within me. Did you catch that? Paul says, I'm toiling, I'm laboring to present other people mature disciples of Christ. But you see that he's not doing under his own power. He says, I toy, I labor under the power that resides in me, under his power. So we go and we're faithful. We walk in obedience. We proclaim the hope of Jesus to the lost world around us, but we don't go on our own. So we go filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. My hope and my prayer for us this morning is that as we hear these words of Jesus, that we would see as followers of Jesus that we have great purpose that he has commissioned and sent us out, but he hasn't sent us on our own. He sent us filled with his spirit. And so we go, we teach, we baptize people. That is what we're called to do. And so the question for us is, are you a disciple who is making disciples?